Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yannion. Today is the last day we'll be taking a look at the series on the gifts and callings of God. And we're going to talk about what is God's responsibility. The gifts belong to the Holy Spirit. The callings belong to Jesus Christ. But God the Father puts the two together. How's that happen in your life? Let's go to the Word of God and find out together. You're going to be blessed by this broadcast today. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yannion. Great to have you with us today. Today is number eight of a series that I've been teaching on the gifts and callings of God. This is the last one. We'll be wrapping up 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. And actually through all eight of these, we've been slowly working through that chapter. And the last uh, couple of lessons, we've stopped talking about the uh, operations of the ministry gifts within the body of Christ. And we've gone over to certain scriptures to talk about them. There are five offices found that I call pulpit offices. There's different names for them. The five-fold ministries are often called, but these are the ones that stand behind the pulpit and they teach uh, groups of people, whether it's a Sunday school class or an entire congregation or a gigantic groups of thousands and thousands of people coming for some kind of rally. Again, we have those that stand behind the pulpit and I call those pulpit offices. There's five of them, but there's also seven other offices that we took up in Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, we found out there's seven offices found within the body of Christ. And I call these congregations congregational offices. And they're the ones that fulfill greeting at the front door or ushering or teaching children or teaching youth, working in the music department, all these different things spread throughout the church. And these are the less visible parts. In fact, we talked about this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where if the foot shall say to the hand, because I'm not the hand, I'm not part of the body, it's a less visible part talking to a more visible part. The ear speaking to the eye. This woman pulls her hair down over me. Nobody can see me, but right around the corner is the eye and look at all the attention the eye gets. And sometimes we feel inferior in the body of Christ to other parts. And what God is simply saying is there's no such thing as an inferior part or a superior part. It comes down to this. Would you rather lose your foot or would you rather lose your hand? Would you rather lose your ear or would you rather lose your eye? We'd start looking for something else because the foot and the hand are equal when it comes to responsibility. Maybe one is more visible than the other, but the same thing is true with the ear and the eye. Would you rather lose your hearing? Would you rather lose your sight? Well, I mean, that's a tough one to choose from because when it comes to function, both are equally important. So is every part of the body of Christ. So if you stand behind the pulpit or sit in the congregation, if you work as a five-fold minister or as a pulpit minister, or you work behind the scenes somewhere in church, you are just as valuable watching over five children in the children's department or babies in the nursery as you are standing behind the pulpit. God wouldn't rather lose one than the other. So we took that up and we started in Ephesians chapter 4. And we went through there. I want to go back again to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because I want to mention three verses of scripture. Verse 4, 5, and 6 is the table of contents of that chapter. Verse 4 says there are differences of gifts, but the same Holy Spirit, showing the Holy Spirit is over the nine gifts of the Spirit. Then they're listed there. 7 through 11. And there they're listed out. There's no uh, there's no uh, listing of them as to what they do. They're just simply listed there as the different gifts of the Spirit. And so then in verse 5, we have that Jesus Christ is over the offices. And then uh, they're listed there as body parts. And that's found in verses 12 down through verse 27. And that's where we've been talking about for the past numbers of lessons is dealing with the different offices in the body of Christ. And then the last thing that we're going to be taking up today is 
is in verse six. It says that God the Father is over the operations. We'll talk about that today. All three members of the Godhead are involved in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse four, the Holy Spirit's over the gifts. Verse five, Jesus Christ is over the offices. And verse six, God the Father is over the operations. We ended up last time in Romans chapter 12 discussing the seven congregational offices. And we dealt with them. So I want you to go down with me in that chapter. And let's start with verse five. Verse five is talking about unity within the body of Christ and us maintaining unity and seeing the equal quality and the equal responsibility of each of us, even though we might have a different function. And throughout the four, uh, throughout the four gospels and really especially throughout the epistles found in the New Testament, the, the main emphasis of Jesus and the main emphasis of Paul and Peter and others is learning to operate in love one toward another. The key thing is the operation of love. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12 that we're dealing with, talking about the different parts of the body and the different gifts of the Spirit and how God works all in all. The next chapter deals with love. The most important thing is walking in unity one with the other and endeavoring to keep the unity of the bond of peace in love. Verse five says, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. We affect one another. We're joined to one another. Even though you might be a part down there and I'm a part up here, there's parts that join us together. We are not separated. We are joined together one with another, but also uh, brought together by the head who is Christ and literally from him comes all the commands, the things we are to do. Verse six goes on to say, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us and uh, to us, this is a re-emphasis of verse three. Paul said, I speak through the grace given to me and the grace given unto Paul was the office of the apostle. The word grace in this context of speaking of, of the body parts and the ministries we have separately is talking about our uh, the offices we stand in. It's as much a grace to understand that you stand in the office of a teacher or a giver. Once you understand that, then you begin to understand the grace that's given to you. It's as much a grace as salvation. You didn't work for it, earn it, or deserve it. You discovered it one day that this is what God had called you to do. Now he says in verse six, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given unto us, he's simply saying in verse three, I the prophet, speaking to you through my office of the prophet, speak to your gift that you walk in, your office that you stand in. And the first one he brings up is prophecy. He said, here speaking of prophecy, he said, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. He's simply bringing out here that there is a body office, those that can operate within the congregation called prophecy. This is different than the office of the prophet. The office of the prophet prophesies of the future, foretells what's going to happen later on. But the office of prophecy within the body of Christ is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Nothing about the coming, what's gonna happen 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road for the world or what, our nation or anything like that. That's the office of the prophet. But it comes back to this. Prophecy is important because it can be the forerunner of the office of the prophet. In other words, you can prophesy without being a prophet, but no prophet ever began without prophesying. And so operating in your simple gift, he says, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Uh, verse seven goes on to say, or ministry. This is the Greek word diakonos. These are your deacons found within the body of Christ. Deacons are not rulers in the church. Deacons are workers in the church. And so here's the ones that would stand at the door and, 
and greet people. These are the ones that would usher people in. These are the ones that would help administrate around the church. In other words, keeping the flow of the people, uh, bringing them to the right seat, all the different things that they do. He says, let us wait on our ministry. Even if you feel like you have this uh, leading to do that, you can start out on it, but even while you're doing it, keep on waiting. Because I can tell you this, the deacon's level is the first thing that you do as you begin to progress in the body of Christ. Throughout the word of God, Old and New Testament, they begin just by doing things. And we find it in the New Testament. Even Paul later on in his ministry, I mean, toward the end of his ministry, one day there's a shipwreck and he went around and collected wood for a fire and limbs for a fire showing he never quit being a deacon, a helper toward other people. So it says again in verse seven, or ministry deaconing, let us wait on our deaconing or he who teaches on teaching. There is another teacher mentioned and we mentioned it back in Ephesians chapter four and that's the pulpit office of a teacher. But here we have a teacher who could just take a Sunday school class or could take a home cell group or something like that and admonish a number of people. And again, this doesn't mean he will stand one day in that altar ultimate gift standing before people, full-time ministry of the office of a teacher. But again, he may never end up being in the five-fold ministry or the five uh, that are mentioned there, the pulpit ministries of a teacher, but no teacher who stands in that five-fold ministry began without teaching, first of all. I had a gift to teach. And that gift, it was right here, this this right here. I just love to teach, but never saw myself as a full-time teacher making money. And that was my occupation until the Lord spoke to me one day and told me, and then it was prophesied over me. I now stood in the office of a teacher. And I moved from just being a teacher that loved to teach, apt to teach, loves to teach, into that full-time office of a teacher, which that became my income. I taught at Raymond Bible Training Center and later became a pastor teacher over a church for 33 years. Verse eight goes on to say, or he who exhorts on exhortation. An exhorter here is one that can encourage other people, strongly encourage other people. You've seen people that can just uplift the spirits of others and exhort them. And I listen, when I look at an exhorter here, what I see is somebody who would make a great counselor in the church. Uh, they're able to take people and come in with their problems and immediately point them to the glory of the word of God, the excitement of the word of God, the anticipation and faith of what God wants to do, turn them from looking at the other person, such as in marriage, blaming the wife or blaming the husband when it came right down to this, God made marriage to be wonderful. So why don't you learn to work together? And instead of taking from each other, learn to give to each other. You take from each other, you'll eventually drain each other. But when you start giving to each other, God supplies, because when you give, God resupplies. And that's one of those things that will never quit as long as you operate in love and giving one toward another. I also see here that one that exhorts is one that's gifted at, at, at winning people to the Lord. He may never stand in the office of an evangelist, but he is wonderful at evangelism and is able to rally a group of people around. And again, we see that those that just love to witness. And sometimes we go out to witness with groups and we brag about the fact, you know, oh, look, look, look I led somebody to the Lord, but we look over at this one and they have a group of people around them. It's just like the moment they start speaking, they attract people around them. Brother Duncombe told us this. He said he had a man in the church one time that was gifted at evangelism. He said he went out to evangelize. And Brother Duncombe said, he said, I was there to witnessing to somebody. He said, this man just walked over into a bar and picked up one of the uh, chairs out of the bar, brought it out of the sidewalk, stood on that chair and started preaching. He said within about five minutes, he had a crowd of around 50 or 60 around him. He led them in a salvation prayer. They bowed their head and prayed. He says, then he picked up the chair, put 
it back into the bar, came walking back out where uh, Brother Duncan was. He said that whole crowd just disappeared. He said, here I was witnessing to somebody. In the time I witnessed to somebody, this guy won 50 or 60 people to the Lord. That's those who are gifted at evangelism. But that does not necessarily make them, again, an evangelist, that they will eventually do this. But I'll simply say this, no evangelist ever began without having a gift to evangelize and a love to evangelize other people. It goes on to say here in this verse of scripture, he that gives, let him do it with simplicity. And when we come back, we'll talk about that and take up right here and those that love to give and are even called to give. This is what I want to address you as we come up here to the break of this broadcast. I call it halftime. But again, as we come to the break of this broadcast, is there are many of you out there, and listen, you have listen, some of you are even gifted in giving. You love to give to ministries. I simply ask you, would you pray over this ministry? If you identify with this ministry, love this ministry, if this is feeding you, then understand something. The rewards in heaven will be eternal for what you put in here. I'm not telling you what to give. It's between you and God. But the point of it is, will you become a partner with me? If you will, go to Bob yandian.com. You'll find a place on my website where you can join me as a partner. I would love to see that. I would love to congratulate you, send you a letter thanking you for becoming a partner with me. I'll see you right after the break. In Romans eleven twenty nine, we are told the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Many believers focus on the very last part of this verse, but it also teaches us that God works both the gifts and the callings together in each believer's life. We are living in a day when God wants every believer to find their place in the body of Christ. This five-lesson series will help increase your understanding of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the five-fold ministry gifts, the body gifts, and how each of these gifts operate together to accomplish God's will in the earth. This powerful teaching series will help you discover your callings and find your place in the body of Christ. To order The Gifts and Callings of God, visit our website at bobbyendian.com. Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines are demystified, Redemption, justification, sanctification, reconciliation, predestination, election, propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. Back to our text, let's go here to uh, chapter uh, 12 of Romans, Romans chapter 12, and take a look with me at verse eight. It says, he who exhorts on exhortation, notice this next one, here's where we left off. He who gives, let him do it with simplicity. There are those in the body of Christ who are gifted at giving. 
And uh, in fact, these are the ones that usually give large offerings. I know whenever we would build a building or something like that, there's always those I could count on that would give large donations to the church, 10, 20, 30, $100,000, and give it into the building program. And I would thank them so much for that. Let me say this very quickly. Even though they gave that much, and we often looked at that, we often looked to rich people to try to support this thing. Rich people give their part. It's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. And the sacrifice for a very rich person and the sacrifice for a poor person may be two different things, but God takes and uses both of them. Let me say this also, the number of wealthy people within a congregation is limited. It's not going to be hundreds and hundreds of them, it's going to be a certain segment of them, but all the giving of the church far exceeds what the rich people give. What I'm saying is quit looking to them as the only thing and look back for just a moment. They make up a certain segment, they make up a certain certain amount that is given, a certain percentage that's given to the church, but actually it's kind of small compared to this over here. They might, you know, the rich people may give four or 5% of the income, but the other 95% comes from just common workers, those that give what they have. A widow's might compared to a person that's a middle income person, they might give a few hundred dollars a month. It all comes back to this, every person as they purpose in their own heart or as God has blessed them, they give. Every one of us should give, but there are those that are being addressed in this verse of scripture. In verse eight, he who gives, let him do it with simplicity, and the word simplicity means not for outward show. He just does it, and as it says over in in, uh, chapter six of Matthew, when Jesus was talking about giving, he says, when you give, he said, don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. Now that's stupid, because you'd have to have, that. I mean, sounds stupid, because you'd have to have brains in your hands for one to know what the other's doing. He's simply saying this, don't let anybody see what you're doing. In fact, when you give, just, you know, under the table, give, give where, where nobody can, nobody and put in an envelope where it can't be told what's happening. Don't do it so that people will see what's going on because he compared that to what happened with the Pharisees. With the Pharisees, they'd actually have trumpets blowing as they would drop large amounts of offering and people would stand there and ooh and awe over the amount of offering, but to announce that they would blow trumpets to start with. Jesus said, don't you do that. He says, you give as you purpose in your heart, you give what you have, but when you do, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. In other words, even keep it from those around you close to you, they can't see what's going on. Now he says here in this verse of scripture, he who gives, let him do it, not for outward show, with simplicity. Simplicity means act like someone around you that doesn't have much because really, honestly, you may be giving $100,000 in the offering. Well, what's that compared to the wealth of the entire world? Very little. And on top of that, you couldn't use it to buy your salvation. Why are you trying to use it to buy something in the church or get your name known or even have a building named after you? That Those are things that, you know, I never would do that. People often say, would you put my name up here? No, no, we're not even gonna have a plaque listing who gave big amounts and all that kind of stuff. We're not gonna do that. If you give, you give it because you love Jesus, you love souls, you love the ministry. You love giving into these things, and this is what the end result's going to be. So it simply says this. Let me point out something else about these seven offices that are found there. Every one of these things are found in every one of us. But with the office, say, of a minister, those who rise up and they become a, a deacon in the church, no, every one of us can help around the church, but there's some people called to do that, and that's their main love. You have others that are called to teach in the church. You certainly don't want somebody that has a, that feels, you know, 
comfortable in helping people by opening doors for them or leading them to, to seats and giving them a teaching responsibility, they'll fall apart. I guess that's true. The number one fear among everybody is public speaking. But there's some that just love public speaking, and that's the ones who may be called to be a teacher. But that's also the person you don't want serving at a table somewhere. They probably put cake and drop cake on people's laps and stuff. It's just not what they love to do. They love to teach. Find out what the love is inside of you. But that doesn't mean other people don't teach. Parents can teach their children. And others in the church can teach, a head usher can teach other ushers what he does. But that doesn't mean you stand in the office of a teacher. This is talking about the sevenfold congregational level that there's somebody there that loves to teach a class. That was me. If you'd asked me to open doors for people or usher people to a seat or teach, I said, teach, teach. That's what I want to do. When the pastor would ask for me, even the pulpit says, we need some teachers. I would hold my hand up. Man, I want to teach. That was my calling. And I knew it. I didn't stand in the fivefold office of a teacher. I was not one of those that I thought would ever stand behind a pulpit. I just love to have a class of 20 or 30 just to impart to them what I had. And God used that later on to stair-step it into the fivefold ministry of a teacher, which I stand in and which I also am a pastor. So we see those things happening. But these seven that are mentioned here are really stair steps. And if you're called into the ministry for the for full-time ministry, you'll eventually get there. These people, again, just have certain things that rise to the surface. Again, are we? can we all help somebody? Yes. Can we all teach if we absolutely have to? Yes. Can we exhort one another if we have to? Yes. It's all these things. Are we all supposed to give? The answer is yes. But there's some people who love it and are called to it, and they're the first ones to stand up and say, I will contribute this toward it. So again, he that gives, let him do it not for outward show. He who rules, let him do it with diligence. A ruler here would be an elder in the church. He helps with the church government. He may never be a pastor, but he loves helping with the church government. He sits on the board of the church. They make decisions for the church. And the best ones, he says, do it here with diligence. I think the main diligence you have to watch over when you're in a rulership position is not going to your head. Be diligent to make sure you're there for the sake of other people, not to make yourself look good. And the last one that's mentioned here is he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Are we all commanded to be merciful? Yes, but there's some who just seem to flow in mercy. There was a lady in our church, and I mean, I could go see people in the hospital and I could encourage them, but this lady came in and she just had an ability to take the depression and the worry off of people and take it onto herself and transmit to them her joyful attitude. And she would walk out of there and oftentimes say, that person actually helped me. What happened was you were able to exchange that and that person that was there under great depression, looking at this, this doctor's report or whatever it was, it says, whoever who shows mercy to do it with cheerfulness, maintain a good attitude and don't you dare take the worries and anxieties of that person on yourself without being able to cast it off on the Lord. Those are the seven we mentioned there, mingling that with the five that stand the pulpit. We have the 12 offices in the body of Christ. You know, it's interesting here. We talk about Jesus as the head. We talk about us as the body. Did you know Paul is the only writer of the New Testament that discusses the body uh, of Christ, that is the church, and then the head, Christ himself, and then the individual parts? And he mentions it nine times. Nine times he brings this up. Because I think from the very beginning, whenever he was knocked down on the road to Damascus, the Lord spoke to him and said, basically says, you're hurting my body. He said, in essence, he said, the things you're doing to these other people, he said, you talk about killing all these people and how necessary it is. He said, to hurt them is to hurt me. 
And Paul got the revelation of the fact we are all one in the body of Christ and mentions it over and over again. Even though others talk about unity in the church, in the body, Paul emphasizes it more than anybody else and strongly discusses it. Now we come to the end. In fact, you can turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to finish this because we've talked about in verses 7 through 11, the uh, operation of the gifts of the Spirit. We talked about in verses 12 through 27, we talked about the different offices found in the body of Christ. We have the ministry of the Holy Spirit, nine gifts. We have the offices of Jesus Christ, that's 12. The Holy Spirit's over the gifts, Jesus Christ is over the offices. Now we find out in verses 28 through 31, God the Father is over the operations. But again, let me come back to this again. Paul is the only writer of the New Testament that discusses the body of Christ, him being the head, that's Christ, and us as individual parts. Each part, whether more visible or less visible, are all necessary for the proper function of the church. So no matter what, none of us can be lost. We are part of the body of Christ. We'll be there forever. And Jesus said in John 17, 12, those you've given to me, I have kept and none of them is lost. Look with me here in closing at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28 through 31. God has set some in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, governments, and differences of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But covet earnestly or eagerly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. I want you to see something in these verses of Scripture. In fact, if you're looking at your Bible, look at me. Look at me. I'm going to explain something to you. Verses 7 through 11 told us that the Holy Spirit is over the gifts. We are told in verse uh, 12 through 27 that Jesus Christ is over the offices. There are nine gifts of the Spirit and there are 12 offices in the body of Christ. But in verse 28 and in verse 29, here's what it's saying. God has set all these things together. And in verse 30 and verse 31, he said that God mingles all in all. God has set some in the church and are all workers of miracles. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And he says, covet earnestly the best gifts. God, in, in verse six, mingle with this, it's God that works all in all. God works all the nine gifts into all of the 12 offices and he knows best. He mingles the two together and this is what gives us uniqueness. In other words, the Holy Spirit sovereignly sits over the nine gifts and Jesus Christ sovereignly sits over the 12 offices of the body of Christ and God the Father is the one that takes and puts these two together. So the gifts mingle with the office. They come together. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And I want you to note something. In verse 28, God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. Then he suddenly shifts in the middle of the verse and lists the office gifts we begin to operate in, the miracles, gifts of healings, things like that. He mentioned three offices, apostles, prophets, and teachers. He left two out, the evangelist and the pastor. 
but he didn't leave them out. In the middle of the verse, he shifts over to the gifts they operate in, and he says, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings. Who operates in miracles and gifts of healings? It's the evangelist. We're told that in chapter eight of the book of Acts, that when Philip went as the first evangelist, he went out and signs and wonders followed him. But then the other gift he did not mention, the other office he did not mention in here was the pastor, but he did mention him. Notice what he says here in this verse of scripture. He says, helps governments, diversities of tongues. Where do you find that? In the local churches where you find helps. You find governments and differences of tongues to be interpreted. That's chapter 14. God did not leave these things out. In the middle of the verse, he simply shifted from the title of the office to the gifts they operate in. God sees you as more than just an office. He sees you as a collection of spiritual gifts that work together with that and make you unique. You are unique in your calling, even though someone else may have it, in the gifts you operate in, but how God weaves them together makes you an individual minister. Thank God for that. See you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.